Let the church say amen. Are you ready to go home? My sister said, which home? That sounds all right to me. Brothers and sisters, it has been a tremendous time together. And I am very grateful to have been with you all over these past few days. Many of us, we found times for private counsel and uh, we broke away in our little corners and we prayed together and we had good conversations and I'm just so thankful. I love meeting God's people and just getting to know one another better. It, this was truly a holy convocation. And I just want to thank God so much for the privilege to even stand before his people to give the bread of life. And brothers and sisters, I have some very important information for you. It is very typical that at holy convocations like this, when the presence of God is here in such a marked manner, it is very difficult for Satan to manifest himself. It is almost as if he is being held back from this ground because of the presence of God's Spirit being here. But the reality is, when we leave this mountain, someone's going to be waiting for us. And I can promise you that he has not slept nor slumbered. And he has put together plans, handpicked, for each of our personalities and lifestyles, and he's going to vehemently attack. God understood this. And that is why when God would have the Day of Atonement come, he knew that it was so important that the people would first get things right in the home, even before they come to the Holy Convocation. If husbands needed to apologize to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, and children to parents. And yes, I said parents to children. Spirit of Prophecy lets us know that there are times that it is appropriate for even parents to apologize to their children because of things that we have allowed them to do and we should not have allowed them to do. We were to get things right first in the home and then after that, once we could meet Jesus in the home, then we can take him with us to the Holy Convocation. And it was at that Holy Convocation that God really wanted the people to get themselves focused and that's why they would recount God's mercies, talk of his wonderful works, keep the mind on him, you know? But then eventually, God knew now it's going to be time to afflict the soul. Search yourself. Find out what's going on. Is everything well between myself and my Savior? And after the individual would afflict their soul and they would see things about themselves that perhaps they didn't see before, it was time for an offering. And therefore, they had to offer an offering made by fire. But God also understood that after that offering was made by fire, an atonement took place. The Bible says in Leviticus 4, it says that after that offering was made by fire, it says it would be done for an atonement, and it says that the people would be forgiven. But God said there's one more thing. He said, do no work. Do no work. 
brothers and sisters, when we are finished with this study, my hope and my prayer is that we will understand how to take that command from God, do no work, and to know how to apply it even in these very last moments of Earth's history. And so this will be a very solemn message. And while I pray, I want you to pray. Satan, we are told, the spirit of prophecy says that there are times that Satan will literally come behind an individual and breathe upon them and cause them to fall into a sleep so that they will miss the very key point that God designed for them to hear. You need to be praying for yourself. You don't have to pray for the message. I already know this message is ordained of heaven. Now, I'm not saying that because of me, because I, I, there's no way my mind, my feeble, sinful mind, there's no way my mind could have put this together. I have no doubt that the message is of God. But even Jesus told us that we should have ears to hear. And so as we prepare to pause for this moment of prayer, I want you to pray for yourself. Lord, give me ears to hear so that by your grace and by your power, I can follow the full four-step plan of how I can cooperate with Jesus while he does his final work of blotting out my sins, even mine. So as much as you're able to, I want to invite you, if you can and if you would, please kneel with me. If you cannot, then just reverently bow your heads where you are. Otherwise, let us kneel together as we approach God's throne in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you, Lord, for this holy convocation. Truly, many of us have literally passed from death to life as a result of these meetings. And Father, we are just so grateful that you still saw enough value in our lives that you would offer life to us still. Lord, your love is beyond comprehension. But Father, I am willing, and I believe I speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters, that though your love is beyond comprehension, I am willing to sit in class and learn of it all throughout eternity. And Father, I'm just praying that in a very special way, please, Lord, if there be anything that is unconfessed within our hearts, bring it to our remembrance even now, so that we may confess it, forsake it, and overcome it by your grace. Lord, I pray that you would please purify our hearts. We asked, we saw last night, we can't even give you our hearts. So we ask you, take our hearts because we cannot give it. Please, Lord, keep it pure, for we even cannot keep it. Father, I pray that as you spoke even through your servant, Nehemiah, that you would please enable me, Lord, feeble, weak, Father, so weak. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. I ask for him to come into my own heart, for there's still more about Jesus that I too would learn. It's an awesome task to stand before your people and speak your words. So I pray that you'll please take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. May you help me speak and give the word distinctly, to give the sense of it, and to cause the people to understand. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as a result of this study, do no work. May we better understand it, and most importantly, apply it, that we may effectively share it. This is our prayer we ask, in Jesus' name, amen.
In the book, The Upward Look, page 173, it says, when we remember that no one knows when his probation may close, how dare we live unprepared, unready to meet our Lord? How dare we remain sinful and defiled? Why are we not afraid? Why are we not troubled? Why do we not realize our peril? The Lord would work mightily for his people if they would put off the works of darkness and be clothed with his righteousness. You see, the reason why the time of the Day of Atonement is so solemn, it is a very serious and solemn time. And solemnity does not mean that joy is absent. We can have a joy of Jesus within our hearts while we are living in a solemn time. So I'm not saying that you and I should become a bunch of sad people and, and always have a frown upon our faces, but we are to understand that we are living in serious times because, brothers and sisters, it does not matter if you are young. It does not matter if you are old. It does not matter if you're male. It does not matter if you're female. It does not matter if you're black. And it does not matter if you're white. Every single individual in this room right now, under the sound of my voice, are going to have only one of two experiences. Only one of two experiences. And the Bible tells us exactly what they are. Go to the book of Acts chapter 3. In Acts the third chapter, you will find that God is going to reveal to you and I. It does not matter. I'm telling you, it does not matter even how young we might be. Sometimes people say, oh, my child is so young that they can't take these words seriously. You know, brothers and sisters, I respectfully disagree. You want to know why? Because when I read that little book called Great Controversy, page 366, you know what it says in Great Controversy 366? It talks about the little child preachers. They were living during the time of William Miller, and it says these little child preachers were as young as six and eight years old. And she says that when these individuals were children, she says, you know what? They were like little children. They loved to play in a sandbox. They loved to swing just like little children. But she says, but when the Spirit of God came upon them, she says when the Spirit of God came upon them, she says their tone and voice changed. They would stand before the people, and you know what she says they would herald? They would say, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. So don't tell me that children are too young to take things seriously with Jesus. There are one of two experiences that God's people are going to enter into, and Acts, the third chapter, shows us one of them. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, and if you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, repent ye therefore and be converted that what will happen? That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, one experience that people are going to have is that either their sins are going to be blotted out or it's going to be something else. Go to the book of Exodus chapter 32. In Exodus the 32nd chapter, notice what the Bible says here. Every single individual in this room are going to have one of these two experiences. The Bible says in Exodus 32, and if you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in Exodus 32, 
It says in verse 31, and Moses returned unto the Lord. This is when the children of Israel were in apostasy. They were worshiping an idol. And it says, and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Now look at the love of Jesus inside of Moses' heart. It says, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, what did Moses say? Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses loved the people so much that God, he was saying, Lord, if you would not forgive them, I am so linked and in love with these people that if you must blot them, blot me out of the book as well. Ministers need that kind of love for the people. We got to be willing to love the people so much that, Lord, if the only way they could be saved is that if I would be lost, but they could, blot me out that they might be saved. But then look at how God answers in the next verse. God says in verse 33, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Brothers and sisters, I am saying unto you today, there are one of two experiences that you and I are going to have. Either our sins get blotted out or our names get blotted out. There is no middle ground. There is no medium. Either it's sins blotted out or names blotted out. And that work has begun since 1844. Names and sins, brothers and sisters, and God is sooner or later and soon, none know how soon, but brothers and sisters, we can see by the very events taking place in this world that soon and very soon, judgment is going to pass from the dead to the living. And if you and I are not prepared, brothers and sisters, our names are going to be blotted out of that book. This is why it's not enough to talk about what you experienced at SWYC. This experience must continue every single day, so long as you shall live. And this is why God would make it clear that he would say, listen, when it came to this point, he would say, do no work. And we need to understand what that do no work means. But before we go to the principle of what do no work means, I want to first show you what it does not mean. Is that all right? I want you to see what do no work not does not mean. And I want you to look at this quote from Child Guidance, page 483. It says, we know not in what line our children may be called to serve. They may spend their lives within the circle of the home. It says they may engage in life's common vocations or go as teachers of the gospel to heathen lands. But how many? But all are alike called to be missionaries for God, ministers of mercy to the world. They are to obtain an education that will help them to stand by the side of Christ in unselfish service. So the one thing I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that while we are about to find out what do no work means, I want to make it clear what it does not mean. Some people think that do no work means that we should get to a point that everybody is all of a sudden going to do full-time gospel ministry. That God's people should not have any part in any type of common vocation. Brothers and sisters, is that true? No, it is not. In fact, let me show you prophetically. Go to the book of Daniel chapter 2. In the book of Daniel the second chapter, you will find that God makes it clear as day. Was Daniel a type of God's people in the last days? Were the experiences that he went through with literal Babylon similar to the experiences we'll go through with spiritual Babylon? Yes. Now watch what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 
And I want you to see what it says, and we're going to start at verse 46. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 46. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Now let's pause right here. King Nebuchadnezzar, as we know, had a dream. And no one could interpret it. And then obviously Daniel came on the scene and Daniel was able by the grace of God and the power of Christ to go ahead and make known the dream. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, this was an issue or a dream that took place in chapter 2. But was there not going to be an image of the beast set up in the next chapter? Yes. So therefore, what we would see, if we were to go ahead and do a kind of a type, an anti-type, we would see that the same things that took place right before the image of the beast was about to be set up, we are reading right now. Amen? Is there an image of the beast that is going to be set up in our day? Yes, there is. So I want you to notice carefully what took place shortly before the image of the beast was set up in Daniel chapter 2. Notice what it says in verse 48. Then the king made Daniel a what kind of man? a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him what? Made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. In other words, Daniel got a job. Before the image of the beast was about to be set up, Daniel understood that there was a crisis he was getting ready to face. But at the same time, there was a job that was offered to him and Daniel took it. He didn't say, oh no, King Nebuchadnezzar, we are in a crisis and there's a great crisis getting ready to come. So as a result of that, I got to continue in some aspect of ministry. No, he accepted the job. But look what he did with his job. Verse 49, the Bible says, then... Daniel requested of the king, and he said who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. You know what Daniel did? He took advantage of his job. He took advantage of his business. He took advantage of his occupation to place some brothers who were like-minded in the same company with him so that they can have a greater effect on bringing revival and reformation to the people. God wants us to understand that when you get a job, brothers and sisters, when you get a business, the last thing you're getting it for is to simply make money. Your job, your business, your school, young people, is all a place that now we are going to call it a mission field. That's why God placed you there, even in the midst of the final crisis, right upon us, because God knows that there are people in the world that need to be prepared for this final crisis. And this is why we know that there is no way that God is saying to you and I that in these very last moments of earth's history, solemn though they may be, and as a result of the fact that the final crisis is right upon us, God is not calling everybody into full-time gospel work, but all can be missionaries, as we read, regardless of if they're in their common vocation, full-time gospel ministry, or even if they stay in the home circle with mother and father. In any respect, all of these individuals can still be missionaries for God. Amen? In fact, I want you to listen to this quotation. It says in Review and Herald, April 21st, 1896, we are not warned against properly participating in business transactions. Did you hear that? We are not warned. 
to properly participate in business transactions, but against carrying to excess that which is lawful in itself, against allowing our minds to be so absorbed in earthly things that we shall not discern the important things that concern our eternal interest. So that's the balance. So while we are looking at the fact that God says, number one, we need to make sure that we do no work, and we are about to define it, but I first wanted to show you what do no work does not mean. It does not mean that for some reason or another, you cannot participate in common vocations. If you understand that, let me hear you say amen. amen. All right, good. So now we can move on. So now, review, oh, that quotation, that quotation from, was from Review and Herald, April 21st, 1896. In fact, you know, I told our young people, and young people, I want to encourage you to do this. If you want to know what does God have designed for my life, I want to encourage you to pick up a little book called Education. When you pick up that little book called Education, I want you to read a chapter called The Life Work. When you read that chapter called The Life Work, it begins on page 262. You're going to find that the very first sentence in that chapter says, true success in any line demands a definite aim. So you're going to have to be clear on whatever it is, once God reveals it to you, that you keep that in your focus as you prepare to do the Lord's work. On page 267, you know what it says? I'm going to let you in on a secret now. You want to know one of the ways you can know your calling? It says on page 267, you will know your calling by your capabilities. So what I want to encourage you to do as young people is I want you to start looking at what are my capabilities? What is it that I am capable of doing right now? And that becomes a guide to show you what the call of God is upon your life. So I want to encourage you to read that. But here's the thing. We must understand that God is calling us to do various things. But in all of it, brothers and sisters, yes, we are missionaries, but we're still called to do no work. So therefore, what does do no work mean? Well, there's a few ways that we can look at it. This has been a very broad subject. Elder Stephen Haskell in his book, The Cross and Its Shadow, and many of our other pioneers, J.N. Lothborough, J.N. Andrews, and many others, they studied these topics. They began to look these things up. One of the things that they saw was found in Galatians 5. Now, in Galatians, the fifth chapter, you will find that one of the things that we definitely need to make sure is being put away from us is something that the Bible says in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at the 19th verse. And when you get there, please let me know by saying Amen. In Galatians 5, I want you to see what the Bible says as we look at verse 19. In Galatians 5, 19, definitely this would certainly be one of the works that should be put away as it relates to God's people living in the day of atonement. The Bible says in Galatians 5 and verse 19, it says, now the what? Works of the flesh. So whatever we're looking at in the next few statements, these are all what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. And these are things we should not be doing. Amen? Notice what the Bible says. It says, now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now, first of all, all four of those references all deal with sexual sin. It seems as if God understood that sexual sin was going definitely to be the sin of the day. 
It seems like there's all these different forms of sexual sin that's taking possession of the hearts and minds of our young people. Somebody needs to do something and put together meetings and teachings where we can deal with these issues because it's one thing to present concepts from the pulpit, but if a child is struggling or a young person is struggling with self-abuse and all these other things, brothers and sisters, we have to show them how to come up higher from those things and enter into the powerful, victorious experience of Jesus. We need to understand that sexual sin is the sin of the day. Four different terminologies, all dealing with sexual sin. But then it goes on, verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of the flesh that God says you and I need to understand that. And because especially we're living in the time where God is making final decisions, we need to make sure that we are not exercising, entertaining, or tantalizing any of these works of the flesh. So one aspect that we can look at do no work is clearly that because we're living in the time of the anti-typical day of atonement and God wants to blot out sin, naturally it would make sense that we need to not do the works of the flesh. Amen? But do you know what? I believe with all of my heart that it's even deeper than that. While it is elementary that God would want us to not do the works of the flesh, while it is elementary that all these things that the Bible calls sin, we certainly should not be doing, I think there's another aspect that is faithful to the scripture that we also need to consider. Go to the book of Leviticus 23. Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. There's something else about the do-no-work principle that I think we can benefit from. And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 23, and when you get there, please let me know by saying amen. amen. In Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, I want you to carefully look at verse 27, and then we're going to look at verse 32. And let's look at what the Bible says. Leviticus 23, and let's look at verse 27. The Bible says, also on the 10th day of this seventh month, there shall be what? A day of atonement. All right. It says, it shall be an holy convocation unto you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, the Bible makes it clear that this time is called the day of atonement. Now look at what God also speaks about along the lines of what the day of atonement was. Verse 32. In verse 32, here's what it says. It shall be unto you a what? Sabbath of rest. And ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even from even unto even shall ye celebrate your Sabbaths. So watch this. The Bible says on the day of atonement that they were to do no work. The natural reason why, brothers and sisters, is because it was a Sabbath. And any time a Sabbath would come, whether it was the literal seventh day of the week or even if it was a ceremonial, you always saw that God told the people to what? Do no work. Is that right? Now, when God told the people not to work on the Sabbath, was he telling them not to sin on the Sabbath? Was that what the do no work meant? No, it didn't, right? So therefore, if we want to really have a very faithful approach to understanding what does it mean to do no work, we have to understand do no work in the context of the keeping of Sabbath. 
Because when God said do no work, he said because it is a Sabbath day. Are you following? Now here's the natural question that the Bible student would ask. Father, why is it anyhow that you would want us to not do any work on the Sabbath? We realize that our work had nothing to do with sin. Our work was not about sin. You don't stop sinning on Sabbath, but then sin on Sunday. Are you following? I remember I always hear people say, oh, you told a lie on the Sabbath. Okay, fine. I'll wait till sunset and then I'll tell a lie. Does that make sense? No, brothers and sisters. So God doesn't want us to sin any day of the week. Amen? But nevertheless, he says when Sabbath comes, he says do no work. So therefore, the do no work, while I can definitely see that the works of the flesh, surely I should stop doing that. Surely I shouldn't do any of the works of the flesh, whether it be Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or any other day of the week. There must be something deeper about that term, do no work, as it relates to the day of atonement. Are you following? Now, where in the Bible can we get an understanding of why God said do no work when it came to the Sabbath days? Whether it's ceremonial or literal, why is it that God would say don't do any work? Don't do any secular labor. Why did God do that? Go to Jeremiah 17. In Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, I want you to see what the Bible says. Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. I heard one amen. All right. We're going to look at Jeremiah 17. We're going to look at verse 21. Stay with me, brothers and sisters. This message is just getting started. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 21, let us notice what the Bible says. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and verse 21, it says, Thus saith the Lord. Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on when? The Sabbath day, nor bring it in by thy gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do ye any what? Work. Now, look at what it says. Neither do ye any work, but then it says, but do what? Hollow. And what does the word hollow mean? To keep holy ye the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Verse 23 and 24. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. Verse 24. And it shall come to pass, if ye diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hollow the Sabbath day to do no work therein, then shall there enter into the gates of the city the kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. Watch this. In verse 24, we kind of get a clue of why it is that God said do no work when it came to the Sabbath day. Look at what it says again in verse 24. It says, And it shall come to pass, if ye diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on when? The Sabbath day. Look at what it says. But to hollow the Sabbath day to what? Do no work. There is something connected between not working and being able to keep the Sabbath holy. There's a connection between not working, ceasing from working, and maintaining the holiness and the sanctity of the Sabbath. Are you following? Watch this. 
Notice what it says in Prophets and Kings, page 411. It says, on one occasion by command of the Lord, the prophet took his position at one of the principal entrances to the city and there urged the importance of keeping holy the Sabbath day. This is the same account we just read about. Watch this. The inhabitants of Jerusalem were in danger of losing sight of the sanctity of the Sabbath. And they were solemnly warned against following their secular pursuits on that day. Question, if the people followed their secular pursuits on that day, what would happen according to the quote? They would lose sight of the sanctity of the Sabbath. They would lose sight of understanding this is the Lord's day upon which I am to enter into an experience of holiness. Are you following? So therefore, contextually speaking, when the Bible says that in the day of atonement, individuals were not supposed to do any work, what it was saying is that you and I should not be doing anything that would cause us to lose sight of the solemnity of the fact that we're living in the anti-typical day of atonement. You and I should not participate you and I should not entertain. You and I should not do anything that would cause me to lose sight of the fact that I am living in the anti-typical day of atonement. Nothing should be done that causes me to lose sight of the solemnity of the times we're in because only one of two experiences are going to take place. Either sins blotted out or names blotted out. This is why God said, I don't want you to do any work because if you work, it will break your focus. If you work, it will become a distraction that you will no longer be able to serve the purpose of the Sabbath day. Now, the reason why this becomes so important, brothers and sisters, is because I want you to consider something. Go to the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. In Luke, the 17th chapter, here's what the Bible says. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the truth. You're going to Luke 17. I have done meetings like this all over the world. And you know one of the things that breaks my heart? Many of the same people who will come to me at the end of the meeting and say, I have been revived. Do you know how many of those people I will get emails from? And they will say, I've turned my back on Jesus. Many individuals who said, man, I'm on fire and that's it. It's me and the Lord. We are going to work together, walk together and thrive together. And sometimes it's just a few short months later and they end up sending me emails saying, you know what? I don't think I can even trust God. I don't even know if there is a God. Brothers and sisters, my email gets flooded with comments like this. Individuals who say, oh, I met Jesus and I had this wonderful experience with them. But brothers and sisters, as a result of time, they end up falling back into perdition. And you know, the Bible talks about it in Matthew 12. When a man sweeps up his house and garnishes it and everything is just right. But because the house was empty... It says seven more demons come back and the person is in a worse condition than when he first was. You see, brothers and sisters, the issue is this. You're at a mountaintop experience right now. There was tremendous focus here. 
And as a result of that, you were able to enter into an experience. But what's going to happen is you're going to go back into the valley. And when you go back into the valley, there will be distractions waiting for you at school. There will be distractions waiting for you at the job. There will be distractions waiting for you even at church. And brothers and sisters, there may even be distractions waiting for you right in your very home. And because of this reality, God says, remember, do no work. Do not enter into anything that will cause a break in the focus that you've received here. Do not entertain. Do not participate. Do not get caught up in anything that removes the solemnity. The times that you're living in. And brothers and sisters, there'll be many things that will be used. In fact, Luke, the 17th chapter. In Luke, the 17th chapter, the Bible says in verse 28, it says in Luke 17 and verse 28, it says, likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, the reason why this becomes so solemn is I want you to listen to what it says. There's a way, brothers and sisters, that we can be working during a time God said do no work, even in business. It says in Last Day Events 2.32, when Lot warned the members of his family of the destruction of Sodom, they would not heed his words, but looked upon him as a fanatical enthusiast. The destruction that came found them unprepared. Thus it will be when Christ comes, farmers, merchants, lawyers, tradesmen will be what? Holy engrossed in business, and upon them the day of the Lord will come as a snare. Brothers and sisters, while God gave you and I business opportunities, while God gave you and I jobs, young people, while God allowed you to go to certain schools, the problem is, is when you and I begin to focus so much on homework that we no longer have time for worship, you are working during a time God said, do no work. When you can spend more time in the books that teach most times nothing that values our future, but we spend hardly any time looking into the book that can only teach us about eternal life, we are working during a time God said, do no work, brothers and sisters. Holy engrossed. There are some individuals that will spend more time in the study of secular pursuits than spending time studying the making it their life work to learn of Jesus and his truth. It is not that God does not want us to get an education, but there's a time and place for everything, brothers and sisters. There are some individuals today that will get up early in the morning to make sure they get to work on time because they're fearful of what their boss will do to them if they're late. But how many individuals, when that alarm goes off, they will go ahead and hit snooze all day long when God was calling them to get up so they can have worship. If we find that we're spending so much time, late hours, all night, studying and doing all sorts of things to make sure that next business project, make sure that next job is going to be successful and all these other things, but we have no time for worship, we have no time for Bible study, we have no time for family, brothers and sisters, you're working during a time God said do no work. You're allowing the mind to become holy and gross on the things pertaining to this world, and as a result of that, we lose sight of the solemnity because of the fact we're living in the anti-typical day of atonement and either my sins are about to be blotted out or my name. And God says you need to be careful because I'm going to tell you right now, some of you might leave this place and get a promotion. 
Some of you might leave this place, brothers and sisters, and all of a sudden your business has the highest level of success like you've never had before. Some of you might leave this place and go back to school, and all of a sudden people want to go ahead and make you president of this association and make you part of this group, and all of us are saying, wow, praise the Lord. But when we begin to look at the fruit of all that new responsibility, we find, man, I don't have time to study the Word anymore. I don't have time to spend time in prayer anymore. I don't have time to even do the work of evangelism. Brothers and sisters, I'm letting you know right now, there are some promotions that came from Satan. Satan well knows. I told you that last night. Great Controversy 519. Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, he creates all sorts of devices to distract us. Young ladies, you've been wanting that man to talk to you for so long. And all of a sudden, now he's interested. You come down the mountain. He never wanted to talk to you before. But now all of a sudden he's interested. And all of a sudden, those times when you used to go to prayer meetings, now you're spending time with him. Those times when you knew that you were supposed to have your time for studying your word and spending time in prayer, now you're on the cell phone talking for hours. And most times it's about foolishness. Satan will do whatever he can to cause a disconnect from what you experienced in this place. And as a result of that, there will be many individuals who will end up leaving the mountaintop experience and go down into the valley. And brothers and sisters, we're going to start getting holy and gross in a lot of these things in the world. And we will find ourselves working during a time God said, do no work. There's nothing wrong with courtship when it's done right. There's nothing wrong with a job when it's done right. There's nothing wrong with being in school and having responsibilities when it's done right. But anytime something comes in your life where it begins to wholly engross the mind and there's no more time for prayer, there's no more time for heart searching, there's no more time for sharing God's truth, there's no more time for self-examination, brothers and sisters, if that's your experience, you are working. During a time, God said, do no work. But it gets deeper than that. Go to Psalms 101. In Psalms 101, notice what the Bible says here. I believe we need to give some dump trucks a problem. I want you to see what the Bible says in Psalms 101. In Psalms, the 101st division, I want you to see what the Bible says. And when you get there, let me know by saying amen. amen. In Psalms 101, the Bible says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee. O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. It says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. David said, I hate the things that cause my mind to turn aside. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Do you know one of the ways that the devil's going to set a trap for you and I when we leave this place? You know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it through our leisure time. He's also going to go ahead and he's going to try to infiltrate our leisure time because many of us today, we spend a lot of time on watching TV. We spend a lot of time, brothers and sisters, perhaps even with video games and all these things. Does God give us counsel on what we should be doing even with our leisure time? Notice what inspiration says here. It says, some are looking too far off for the coming of the Lord. Time has continued a few years longer than they expected. Therefore, they think it may continue a few years more. And in this way, their minds are being led from present truth out after the world. It goes on. 
In these things I saw great danger. For if the mind is filled with other things, present truth is shut out. And there is no place in our foreheads for the seal of the living God. Listen. I saw that the time for Jesus to be in the most holy place was nearly what? Finished. It says, and that time can last but a very little longer. What leisure time we have should be spent in searching the Bible. Which is to judge us in the last day. My dear brethren and sisters, let the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ be in your minds. How often? Continually. It says, and let them crowd out worldly thoughts and cares. You see, God wants us to understand that in our leisure time, we also need to make sure that we are doing no work. We need to make sure that whatever we do in that leisure time, that lax time that we have, it should always keep the mind connected to Christ, that we never lose sight of the solemnity of the times in which we're living in. And therefore, we are told to do that. And this is why television and all these movies and games and all these different things are coming out, because it's the devil's instrument to break the focus of the remnant. And brothers and sisters, the problem is many of us are indulging in these things today. In fact, I want you to think about this. I remember I was a child, I used to watch these things. Bugs Bunny and, and, and Elmer Fudd. You remember those cartoons? You know there's Seventh-day Adventists who watch this today? Do you know there's Seventh-day Adventists that this is how they spend their leisure time on, on cartoon networks and all these different things? And look at this. I remember I used to watch this. And it was funny because you'll notice that Elmer Fudd here, he, he looks like he has, he's a ghost almost. Is that right? But then there wasn't just Elmer Fudd. You remember that? Sylvester the Cat and Yosemite Sam and ghosts, all these things again. But then after that, you remember Scooby-Doo. There was all those. It was funny. While we were children, we were literally being educated on spiritualism, and we didn't even know it. We were watching all of these different things, and everything involved ghosts and people who die and then rise back up again. But here's the thing. What happens is Satan is subtle. Is that what the Bible says? It says that he came subtle as that serpent. So what happens is it starts with things like this that we call innocent. But eventually what happens is it starts breaking the focus. It starts causing us to lose the solemnity. And all of a sudden we begin to justify watching these things. And after a while, Satan says, good, now they're ready for my next step. Satan says, now let me go ahead and let me top it up a notch. And now I'm going to create things like Harry Potter. And I'm going to create all these different movies. And I'm going to put these things out. And since they love spiritualism in cartoon form, now they'll probably love it in human form. So then he begins to build it up once again. And remember, the foundation of all spiritualism is that term that says, ye shall not surely die. So here it is. He begins to plant that seed over and over and over again. And he just starts getting us to believe that when you die, you don't really die. And then all of a sudden, after a while, brothers and sisters, we start to buy into this thing so much. And people in the world have bought into these things so much that after a while, then all of a sudden, things like this begin to happen. A child somewhere in the Middle East will be convinced that if you kill yourself by tying this bomb to you, that you'll ascend into heaven and there'll be several virgins or some sort waiting for you while you are there. So then after a while, they begin to cheer on those children and they begin to make the child feel good. They make them feel proud. They make that child feel good and proud to say, oh, yes, you're getting ready to be one of our champions. You're a servant of God. They're believing lies because it started from something small. But brothers and sisters, this is where it ends. Death. People, have you ever thought to yourself, how could somebody take a bomb and tie it to themselves and just go in the midst of a crowd of people and just detonate it like that? 
Satan says, because I have a master plan, I need to cause a disconnect. And sometimes people say, oh, but Brother Lemon, yeah, that's true for the world. That's true for the world. But we, we're Christians. We don't spend time watching all of these different uh, uh, movies and cartoons and all these things. But do you watch this? Do you watch VeggieTales? Do you know that there are some churches today that literally make children programs with these cartoons? You know what VeggieTales teaches? You shall not surely die. Brothers and sisters, if individuals watch VeggieTales, you would see that even in VeggieTales, they begin to show you that when a person dies, they don't really die. They ascend into another existence. But this time, what they did was they put it in a Christian garb. I remember one time my wife and I, we, we actually... Uh, we used, to, we used to let our children watch this. That's why I told you parents need to, to apologize to their children. I remember years ago, I had to apologize to my children because I used to let them watch this stuff. And I remember that I, I, I started to think about it. One day, I was doing devotion, and there's nothing sweeter than when you do devotion and the Spirit of God speaks to your mind. I started studying Philippians 4 and verse 8. And what was happening was, I was sitting in a couch in the back, and my children were sitting a little further up front watching VeggieTales. And then all of a sudden, I opened up my Bible, and I was having devotion, and I looked at Philippians 4 and verse 8, and the first thing it said, it says, whatsoever things are true. And immediately God said, can cucumbers really talk? God started to say, can asparagus really talk? Can tomatoes really have conversations? Is that true? And I said, Lord, I'd never thought about it like that. And I had to go to my children and apologize and tell them, listen, mommy and daddy made a mistake by letting you watch these things. And you know what's the greatest crime of VeggieTales? There is nothing in VeggieTales that can prepare our young people on how to be in the most holy place by faith. We will go ahead and we will bicker and fight over ministers coming on our pulpit from Sunday churches, but we'll go ahead and let their cartoons and programs be in our homes. Given the same doctrines, they don't have Seventh-day Adventist veggie tales. It's the same teachings. And many of us will put this stuff before our children and think that that's going to help them become like those child preachers. No, brothers and sisters, it could never do it. I want you to think about it. Do you really think it's ironic that 99.9% .9 of all children's programs is based on lies? Something that's not true. Talking ants, talking lions, talking vegetation, all these different things, ghosts and goblins communicating with each other, bears that can talk. Think about it. Look at almost every single movie and sitcom that is out for children today. They're all based on lies, yay, spiritualism. And we put these things before our kids, and this is the remnant doing it. Brothers and sisters, if we're watching VeggieTales and all these other things, I promise you, we are working during a time God said, do no work. What leisure time you and I have, we need to be spending it in the Word of God. We need to be spending it out in the Word of God of nature. We need to be going ahead and learning about Jesus and how we can draw closer to Him. Why? Because we're living in a solemn time upon which either my sins get blotted out or my name. You can't afford to lose your focus, brothers and sisters, when you're at the end of a battle. When you're at the end of a battle, that's when you must be most alert. Some people say, oh, it's not VeggieTales. What, what about Seventh Heaven? What about Touched by an Angel? All these programs, individuals are watching. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you the truth. We are working during a time God said, do no work. I praise God for 3ABN. 
I praise God even for audio verse now that they got video links. I praise God for the final generation, Brother Chung, where there's video links. And we can watch things, but that help us keep our minds stayed upon thee. But brothers and sisters, all this television, people talk about, well, I like to watch TV and I, got, I watch the news so I can be up to date. Brothers and sisters, first of all, the news tells you what they want to tell you. I mean, if you want to find out the weather, that's all right. But nine times out of ten, I mean, it, it, brothers and sisters, do you know that we have a chart that points out the way mark on the heavenward journey and we don't have to guess at anything. And that chart is none other than the Bible. Brothers and sisters, do you know that if we carefully understand prophecy, I can tell the news what's going to happen before they figure it out. God is trying to make us aware that we need to understand that even in the viewing of television, even in the watching of programs, in everything that we do in the name of leisure, we must make sure that we maintain that focus because we're living in a very solemn time. And brothers and sisters, if you find that you're watching TV and watching all of this foolishness in the world, brothers and sisters, you're working. During a time, God said, do no work. If you're going to watch a program, you need to ask yourself, how will this get me closer to Jesus Christ? How will this help me better be prepared for the final crisis and the second coming of my precious Savior? But it gets even deeper than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're getting ready to come down the mountain, but I'm going to take my time step by step. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 31, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, and if you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, it says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the what? Glory. To the glory of God. In other words, we studied earlier that the glory of God is God's what? Character. Amen. We saw Exodus 33, 18, 19, Exodus 34, 5 through 7. It showed as clear as day that the glory of God is God's character. So whatever you and I do, it should be to the glory of God or help me better reflect God's character. Amen. Now, the reason why I ask that is because there is something especially our young people love to do. But our adults love to do it too. And it's called in the natural world, recreation. You see, these are the things, these are the areas of real life that we're going to have to experience when we leave this mountain. Amen? Amen. Do we not have recreation? Yes, we do. Do we not have leisure time? Yes, we do. Do we not have businesses and jobs and school to go to? Yes, we do. This is why God gave the information to help us see how we can keep the focus and also expose Satan and his plans of how he's trying to distract us and make us lose the testimony that many of you gave right up here on this pulpit. And so it is, God says, do no work. And we saw do no work as it relates to business and school and all those things. We saw do no work as it relates to leisure time, but we must also understand it even as it relates to recreation. I want you to see what inspiration says here as we consider something. It says... Between the associations of the followers of Christ for Christian recreation and worldly gatherings for pleasure and amusement will, be, will exist a what? Marked contrast. Let me read that again. Between the association of the followers of Christ for Christian recreation and worldly gatherings for pleasure 
and amusement will exist a marked contrast, which means that it should be clear as day when we see Christians having recreation and when we see worldlings having recreation. There should be a clear dividing line to say, man, that looks different from that. In other words, when they both look almost exactly the same, except for the fact that one group has shirts with all the foul language on it, and another group has churches or, or, or shirts that have SDA on it. God says there should be something that is a marked contrast between the two of how they conduct themselves. Watch this. Instead of prayer and the mentioning of Christ and sacred things will be heard from the lips of worldlings, the silly laugh and the trifling conversation. The idea is to have a general high time. This is typically what happens when we think of recreation. We think of recreation as just basically having a general high time, just simply having a lot of fun. Now, brothers and sisters, God is not against fun when it's conducted right. You see, God is not for recreation. God does not support recreation. What God supports is re-creation. You see, in other words, there are things that you and I can do in the name of fun that literally wrecks the image of God in us. Therefore, it is properly termed wreck the creation. But then there are things that you and I can do that when we do it, it actually re-creates the image of God in us. So God is not against fun, brothers and sisters. What God is saying is that there's a way you can do it where it's going to wreck you, my creation. But what I want is for you to go ahead and have fun, but I want it to recreate my image in you. Now, one of the great deceptions that Satan has used is with none other than competitive sports. The greatest one of the world is the one of men. We have to tell it like it is, brothers and sisters. But remember, God is not saying it to condemn. I'm being honest with you. You see, I'm not going to come. Listen, I've been to too many conferences. I really want to see the work get finished. And the work is not going to get finished when we just keep coming up on pulpits and giving you a whole bunch of high philosophical foolishness that you don't know how to practice and live it when you leave here. I've watched souls die, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to do it. I don't care if I lose. Brothers and sisters, if I lose my ministry for telling the truth, so be it. If you lose your ministry for telling the truth, so be it. Because Jesus lost much more than you and I would ever lose. We got to tell the people the truth. And there's one deception that is plaguing our movement. And it's this thing called competitive sports. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians, the second chapter, I want you to see what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing to me. Competitive sports. I remember one time somebody said, what's so, what's so wrong with competitive sports? I said, well, first of all, Ministry of Healing 143. You're going to Philippians 2. Ministry of Healing page 143 says, Christ's method alone will give us true success in reaching the people. Now, I never saw Jesus promoting competition. And I remember one time I was talking to a brother and he said, no, no, no. He said, no, competition is okay. I said, you know what's funny? I said, we are literally trying to build up what Jesus was trying to break down. When the disciples came to Jesus, they were already competitive. That's why they kept trying to find out who will be the greatest. And they were so pathetic that they got their mother involved. (laughs) 
And the very thing that Christ was trying to kill, which was the competitive spirit, we're trying to build it up in the name of evangelism. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, let how many things? It says, let nothing be done through what? Strife. Stop right there. The Bible says, let nothing be done through what? Strife. What does that word strife mean? If you look it up in the Greek, you know what the word means? Rivalry. That's what the word actually means. The word strife means rivalry. Let nothing be done that would promote rivalry. Putting people against each other. The Bible says let nothing be done through strife. But then it goes on. It says, let nothing be done through strife or what else? Vain glory. Now, brothers and sisters, in fact, before we go to vain glory, I want you to think about this. Who did competition really begin with anyhow? Satan goes before God and says, I will be like the Most High. Now, the reason why I want you to think about that is go back to Galatians 5. Put your finger, keep your finger on Philippians 2, but go back to Galatians 5. Keep your finger on Philippians 2. I'm trying to wind this up, but the Lord keeps downloading. Brothers and sisters, look at this. <laughs> Galatians 5. In Galatians chapter 5, do you remember we just looked at those works of the flesh? Look at what it says is the work of the flesh, of the flesh, of the flesh. It says in Galatians 5, notice what it says in verse 20. It says idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance, what's that next word? Emulation. What is emulation? You know what emulation is? To emulate is when you're trying to be equal to or better than somebody else. To emulate is when you strive to be equal to or better than somebody else. The Bible says that emulations is a work of the flesh. And therefore, when God was saying, let nothing be done through strife or rivalry, God was saying, don't do anything that's going to try where you're trying to constantly be equal or better than each other. In fact, look at Philippians chapter 2 again. And I say this because you know what happens? A lot of us right now, we're going ahead and saying amen here. And then the devil will work through his instruments. And I'm going to show you that it's his instruments. He will work through his instruments to take away and steal away the experience that you're having here. If you and I are caught up in competitive sports, brothers and sisters, we are working during a time God said, do no work. In Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. How can you do that when you're trying to beat the person next to you? If your whole goal is to try to beat that person and overcome them and so on so that they can be the loser and I can be the winner, how can you fulfill verse 4? It says in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife of vainglory, but in what kind of mind? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other what? Better than himself. How can you esteem others better than yourself when your whole mission is to try to beat them? 
God wants us to understand there are distractive agencies that Satan is seeking to set up to cause us as God's people to lose sight of the solemnity of the times that we're living in. This pastors, this elders, this leaders is how we lose our youth. We're always trying to say, oh, let's go ahead and win our young people. Brothers and sisters, you should not have a single program functioning in your church unless you first thoroughly search the Bible and spirit of prophecy to make sure the word of God condones it. And I don't care how far you are in your program with it. If the word of God does not condone it, flush it. It's amazing how we can say, oh, we're living in the time of revival and reformation when we don't understand that that means that the church is going to need to reform change some things so that we can win the souls for real there's a difference people say oh i love the i love to keep I, I do competitive sports because i want to keep the young people in the church brothers and sisters you show me one verse in the bible that says the church will save anybody show me one verse in the bible that the buildings will save anybody my Bible tells me about a man who ran into the building away from the enemy. And when the enemy came to him, the enemy came in the building, took his sword out and went and killed him right by the altar. Keeping young people in the church does not mean that we're preparing them for the crisis. Keeping young people in Jesus. Amen. That's what prepares them for the final crisis. The Bible says let nothing be done through strife or vain Glory. Now, brothers and sisters, this, this trophy stuff and all of these, I mean, it's amazing to me how our church has gotten to this level. We clearly show that many of us have lost sight of the times in which we're living in. I'm serious. It is imperative that we understand. We, we will, we, churches will literally battle each other. And you know what's so pathetic? Brothers and sisters, it's getting bad. Because we're getting to a point in time that it started with baseball and football and all these things. But do you know today we have churches that actually will use Bibles to compete against each other? Who would have ever thought that the day would come that the remnant would pick up Bibles and literally use it as an instrument to compete against each other, to declare one church losers and another church a winner. Sister churches fighting against each other. We're working during a time. God has said, do no work. And brothers and sisters, what has happened? When a man shakes a brother out on the court, he shakes him out, he goes this way, and then he cuts the other way and dunks. You know what happens? Vainglory. At a time where we should be fearing God and giving glory to him, there are individuals who are getting glory to themselves. Brothers and sisters, if you and I are getting caught up in all these things, now, is there anything wrong with taking the ball and playing catch? No, there isn't. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with innocent playing catch and so on, brothers and sisters, but when we compete against each other, when I'm trying to beat you and you're trying to beat me, brothers and sisters, that is contrary to the word of God. And if you and I are caught up in that stuff, we are working during a time God has said to do no work. And the reason why this becomes so important is I want you to look at this. It says, among the youth, the passion for football games and other kindred selfish gratifications. I want you to look at the wording that Jesus uses. It says, among the youth, 
It says the passion for football games and other kindred selfish gratifications have been misleading in their influence. It says watchfulness and prayer and daily consecration to God have not been maintained. It says converse communion with God is life to the soul. The light has been what? Be clouded. It says, and it was well pleasing to Satan, pleasing to who? Satan. Satan, to have the impression go forth that notwithstanding the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit in behalf of our institutions of learning, this is when competitive sports started to come into our schools during the time of Sister White. And she began to speak up against it. And this is what it says. It says that the Holy Spirit was working in behalf of our institutions of learning. It says, and the office of publication and the church, they fell back to become overcome by temptation. It says, Satan and evil workers cast reflection upon God and his name has been dishonored. This is manuscript release uh, 127. Manuscript release book 6, page 127. It says, instead of prayer and the mentioning of Christ, it says the instructors ought to have had wisdom. Now, this is talking to the leaders. It says the instructors ought to have had wisdom to follow the indications of the Holy Spirit and go on from grace to grace, leading the youth to make the most of the light and grace given. They should have taught the youth that the Holy Spirit, which was imparted in great measure, was to help them use their time and ability to do the very highest service for the master, showing forth the praises of him who have called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at this. But instead... It says, but instead of this, many went more eagerly in pursuit of pleasure. Talking about the competitive sports. There were witnesses upon the pleasure grounds. Heavenly intelligences that made the records in the book of God of transactions that many will not care to meet in the day when every work shall be manifest. It says, not only were heavenly messengers present, but the what? Synagogue of Satan were on the ground to exalt that his ingenious methods... What ingenious methods? What's the context, brothers and sisters? It was the competitive sports that was coming in to the schools. His ingenious methods had in a great measure thwarted the purpose for which God gave the Holy Spirit. God desired to carry the youth forward and upward that they might understand by experience the words of the inspired apostle. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building of how many who exhibited their qualifications in the games. Could this be said? Brothers and sisters, God believes in recreation. But God does not believe in recreation. You say, well, then what can we do with our young people? You can do several things. Number one. You can, of course, get your young people involved in gardening. I don't care if you live in a rock-side city or if you live in the country. No, listen to me. I know parents who live in Brooklyn, New York, brothers and sisters, who are growing gardens for their children and teaching them gospel lessons through the process. We're told that nothing can improve upon the methodology that Christ used and the Lord used to educate the people upon present truth. Do you know that true education, we are told, it, it says uh, doing the garden, do, doing gardening work, it says is the ABC of true education. Doing gardening work. You say, what can we do with our young people? Why don't you go ahead and get them involved in gardening? 
Why don't you begin teaching them object lessons through it, and then on the process, you know something young people love? They love to see a finished product of something they participated in doing. Do you know how cool it is when the next time a young person eats salad, they can say, man, I grew that. All of a sudden, they'll start saying, man, this salad just tastes better than any other salad I've ever had. Why? Because they said, I made it. I was the one who did it. My hands were involved in the process. They begin to feel encouraged. Outside of that, you can always do different types of recreations. You can go out bike riding, hiking, different things. We can do these things out in nature, brothers and sisters. You can go ahead and you can take them boat riding, canoe riding. I remember we had a whole bunch of young people in, in Georgia. Man, these young brothers, they had their pants hanging off their backsides. Big old afros and just looking all, I mean, brothers, they were out of control. And here it is that the elder, he brought me in to work with them. He said, listen, I want you to come and work with these young people. And I remember we, we met them and they, at that time, they were a mess. But like Jesus, the joy that was set before him, you don't see the young people as they are. You see them who they can be in Jesus. We started going ahead and we started working with them. Man, we started working with these young brothers and sisters. And brothers and I remember one time we took some of the brothers and we went to one of the uh, state parks. And we got ourselves on one of those boats. And here it is, these brothers, you know, they, they, you know they're, they're kind of like, why are we here? You know, they want to, they want to, you know, they, they, you know that, that's what they're interested in. But we started to go ahead and we went on that boat. And, and serious, we started going on the boat. I remember we all did it, boat riding. Took my wife and I and the children, all of us, we went boat riding. And as we were boat riding, you know, me and the brothers, we got a chance to talk and we were just surrounded by trees and water. And as we were on the boat, all of a sudden you see this brother, thug, you know, hard guy. And it's like all of a sudden he's like, ooh, look at that, look at that. And all it was, was a, it, was a, it was a goose just flying over the water. But check it out. To him, to him, it was like the most amazing thing he ever saw. We are told that when we go out in nature, that angels go with us to impress truth and holiness upon our hearts. That brother was looking at that thing and he just all of a sudden, he's like, oh man, and he just got so excited. We started talking about the reenactments of Jesus. We started talking about, man, can you imagine what Jesus was like when he calmed that storm? And all of a sudden, we just on the boat. And literally, I said, all right, you, you go first. And then literally, we're on the boat and I'm rocking the boat like this. And the next thing you know, he gets on the boat, he's trying to hold his balance, he just goes, And we just start thinking about how did Jesus do that when he just killed that storm like that? That must have been so cool the way he did that. You know, and we're, we're just talking. And before you know it, walls start coming down. The brothers just started, they're not thugged out anymore. They're not roughnecks anymore. Now they're just regular young men. Before you know it, we started talking with them. We started working with them. My wife started to show them how to bake bread and, and another friend of ours and the ladies, the, I'm sorry, the ladies. Not that brothers can't bake bread, but the ladies. They started working on, on baking bread together and all these different things. And as they started to learn how to do these things, all of a sudden, you know what I saw? It was almost amazing. It was a miracle. You start seeing these young men, all of a sudden, their pants is right up on their waist now. All of a sudden, as a result of hanging out, you see, we can't solve the problems in our church one day a week. You got to be willing to open your doors. You got to be willing to bring them to your home. You got to be willing to do whatever it takes. All of a sudden, I started seeing the brother's pants go up. Brothers started getting neat haircuts. Young ladies, cleavage was here. Now, all of a sudden, it got higher. I'm serious. All of a sudden, garments started getting looser, longer, flowing. Their bodies became a mystery once again. I'm telling you, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. The mystery of godliness. 
Do you know, brothers and sisters, that about eight, eight to nine of those young people, several of them, are full-time gospel medical missionary evangelists today? Yeah. Saw it with my own eyes. You see, some people can give theory, but 99 men with theory will be dominated by one man with experience. You give them the best and you leave the rest. You teach your young people how to go ahead, getting together, evangelism, getting group sessions, people coming together, studying together, talking together, building and vibing together. There's several things you can do with your young people that all recreate rather than wreck the creation. And you want to know why this is so important? You want to know why this is so important? I'm closing now. You want to know why it's so important, brothers and sisters? We got to understand that God said, listen, time is almost finished. And the question is, do you reflect the lovely image of Jesus as you should? And whatever activity we do, even in the name of recreation, it should do just that, recreate the image of God. Whatever it is that we do in our leisure time, it should keep our minds focused on the times that we're living in. Whatever we do in business and school and so on, it should always keep our minds connected to Christ. And you want to know why? Because, brothers and sisters, there's an end result. You want to know what the end result is? When our general conference president, Ted Wilson, when that man took his stand, and he said, this church needs a revival and a reformation of true godliness. Brothers and sisters, when he did that, it became like a motivation to many other ministers and many other people throughout our churches. And now we have lots of churches that want revival and reformation. Amen? Amen. Now, which one comes first, revival or reformation? Revival, right? So after the revival, then comes the reformation. Amen? Here's the question. Have you ever wondered how practically can we really experience a revival? You see, a revival deals with the fact that people are spiritually dead. There's a spiritual death that has taken place. Either spiritual death or spiritual dying. And that's why you need a revival. You need to be revived. Come back to life. You need the breath of life back inside of you. Amen? Amen. Have you ever wondered what is it that could really bring the breath of life back into so many dead churches. Do you know there's a crisis right now? In a time where we should be most connected to the Lord, we are most disconnected. So therefore, we need a revival. But brothers and sisters, I remember one time a brother came to me and he started to show me all of these reasons why the church is so messed up. And he was trying to get me to leave the church and, and to join uh, his, his independent group and all these things and called the church Babylon and I remember I was reading First Selected Messages, page 179, and it says that, you know, there will be those who will talk about the close of probation and all these things, and they will talk about the coming out of God's church to form a more pure, holier group of people. And then Ellen White says, this is what Satan wants. The work is not going to be finished by breaking away from the general conference body and trying to start up all of our independent groups. Because if the truth be told, just about every independent group has their own issues. I'm serious. I, I've looked at, I, I've seen so many independent groups, brothers and sisters. I'm serious. I, I've, I've seen them. I used to be in their circles. And I promise you, they got some of the same issues that are happening right inside the conference structure. It's not the answer. It's just not the answer. Some of them think that their long dresses and, and vegan diets is just what makes them better than the, than the structure. That's ridiculous. 
While I believe in dress reform, while I believe in health reform, I know those things don't make you righteous. So therefore, the question is, what is the inspired solution to the inspired problem? You see, so many times we see the inspired problem, we talk about, oh, Ellen White told us that, that all, of these, uh, all of these problems, the spiritual formations and this, that, and the other, was going to come to church. And she did. The servant of the Lord told us that all of these apostasies and different things, they were going to come into church. Yes, and they're here. But brothers and sisters, the question is, now that you showed me the inspired problem, what's the inspired solution? And young people, I want you to see what the inspired solution is. Are you ready? How can God take dead churches and bring them back to life? Notice. To my ministering brethren, this is testimonies to ministers and gospel workers, page 415. To my ministering brethren, I would say, prosecute this work with tact and ability. Set to work the who? Young men and the young women in our churches. What are they supposed to be doing? Combine the medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. Amen. What is Jesus telling us to do? Combine the medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. Do you know that all of our youth conferences and all these things should be to make sure that we teach and educate the people? Every church should make sure to teach and educate the people how to become medical missionary and to understand that third angel's message. Watch this. It says, make regular organized effort to lift the churches out of the dead level into which they have fallen and have remained for years. Send into the churches workers who will set the principles of health reform in their connection with the third angel's message before every family and individual. What would happen if you and I began to take our churches and we would begin allowing our churches to be what Ministry of Healing page 149 says? Every church should be a training school. What if we turned our churches instead of a weekly visitation place? What if we turned it into a training school? What are we training them on? Medical missionary work and the proclamation of the third angel's message. What would happen if we got our young people involved in this instead of all this recreation? Notice what God says. It says, encourage all to take a part in work for their fellow men and see if the breath of life will not quickly return where? To the churches. That sounds like revival. There's so many people today trying to put all these programs together about revival. They want to talk about prayer and all these other things, but we forget what God said. God said, yes, prayer is there. Spirit of God is there. Word of study is there. All of that's there. But brothers and sisters, combine the medical missionary work with the proclamation of the third angel's message. Get the young men and the young women together and show them how to do this. And brothers and sisters, we are promised that our churches will be revived. And you want to know why? Because we have finally learned ourselves and taught our young people how to do no work. And so, brothers and sisters, I say unto you, if you want to know how can we truly experience true revival and reformation? 
How can we do this? God says, number one, you need to do no work. You need to make sure that there's nothing that you do that causes you to lose sight of the solemnity of the times in which you're living. And we know that there's going to be business programs you're going to have to go back to. We know there's going to be jobs that you're going to have to go back to. We know that there's going to be school you're going to have to go back to. And you're going to still have leisure time available to you. And you should participate in recreation. But in everything that you and I do, brothers and sisters, we are to understand that we are to do it. Making sure that our minds ever remember that we are living in solemn times. Nothing must cause a disconnect between my mind and understanding that time is almost finished. You know, brothers and sisters, as my brother prepares to play this piano, have you ever wondered what a revived and reformed church even looks like? You know, Jesus always said, by their fruit, you shall know them. Wouldn't it be great if one church, at least one church in this environment, could actually just become blind to everything else in the world and strictly take the words of Jesus and do everything God says? They say, you know what? We have holy convocation. We afflict our souls. We offer the offering made by fire. And we will do no work. We're going to maintain that focus. We're going to keep the solemn truths and the solemn principles before our minds and let nothing distract it. You know what happens when that happens? Brothers and sisters, something incredible takes place. What does a revived and reformed church even look like? In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed. And other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen, even as was manifested before the great day of Pentecost. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side, doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with a heavenly influence. Great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. I heard voices of thanksgiving and praise, and there seemed to be a reformation such as we witnessed in 1844. Testimonies, volume 9, 1, 2, 6. You know, God says that I want to do that in you. God says that's exactly what I want to do in you. That's the whole point, brothers and sisters, is to gain the experience of this wonderful sanctuary message. And that is the fruit of it. And so if you realize today, you know what, I've been working during a time God has said do no work. Whether it was in my leisure time, whether it was in my business or school or job, or whether it was even in my recreations that I need to change to be recreations. If you realize I've been working during a time God said do no work, but by the grace of God, I'm not only going to have holy convocation. I'm not only going to afflict my soul. I'm not only going to offer an offering made by fire, but I'm going to cooperate with Jesus when I leave this mountain and I will do no work so that by God's grace, I can be an instrument in his hands to experience revival and reformation and then to help bring it 
to my dear brothers and sisters. If that's your desire, then please stand to your feet. Brothers and sisters, just remember, you're going to need to really take seriously because this is the trap that Satan sets. When we leave this mountain, there will be many distractions awaiting us. By the grace of God, please, brothers and sisters, do no work. Don't do anything that will break that focus and take your mind off of the solemnity of the times. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, dear God, for the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We know, Father, that there's nothing we can cease to do or start doing in and of ourselves. Every single effort we make will not be by might nor by power, but only by your spirit. And so, Lord, we're asking for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that he may be the one to enable us to do no work in a time where most people are working. And Lord, I pray that we may go deeper into this principle and ever keep it before our eyes and our minds. That time is almost finished. And the question still remains, do you reflect the lovely image of Jesus as you should? And Father, the question is, what will be the answer? Please, God, abide with us, we ask. Keep us focused, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.